Hello and welcome to the eTalk 21 Sports Podcast for January 26th. How is everyone doing? My name is Eric. I'm the man behind eTalk 21 Sports. We have an absolutely loaded episode for you today. I'm going to be diving into the DFS, tell you who to build your DFS lineups around for this weekend. Plus, David, a.k.a. Better DP 21 him and I are going to share our best bets for the NFC Championship game. And Gino will have his horse racing picks for Pegasus World Cup. And Dalton Snell will come on to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks firing David Griffin. First of all, though, I got to apologize for missing last week. Old Uncle Rico, keyword in that sentence is old, had to have a little minor leg procedure done and was recovering. So my apologies for missing last week. I was on the shelf and it sucked. I couldn't move. I was in bed. For me, it was awful. But we're back this week. We should be going strong unless <laughs> unless another medical emergency comes up. Actually, I, can't, I shouldn't say medical emergency. It really wasn't a medical emergency. So my apologies for missing last week. But let's not waste any minute. Let's jump right into it. We're going to start now talking some fantasy football. Obviously, with the smaller slate these are the slates where when you put do your cash games you can stack because normally we have to remember in the regular season i'm not a big proponent of stacking but in tournament play i like it and in playoff play i like it so obviously i'm going to be stacking in this slate of games because of the limited there's only four teams now look at the quarterback position we got jackson we got mahomes we got purdy we got goff I really think a lot of people are going to go to Jackson or Mahomes. They're going to be the most popular quarterbacks and rightfully so. But however, if, oh, sir, excuse me, when you listen to later on in the podcast, you'll see why I am not going to take Mahomes. You're going to also hear in a little bit why I'm not going to take Jackson. What I'm going to do is I am going to take Brock Purdy. The reason I'm going to take Brock Purdy is this. I expect a bounce back game. Tough weather conditions last week against the Packers where he really wasn't able to throw the ball or receivers throwing on. The Lions are elite against the run. I think they're going to be able to keep CMC in check, thus force Purdy to make more throws. You make Purdy make more throws, that is the key when defending the 49ers. And I think that's what the Lions are going to do. And because the Lions are so bad at the secondary, they're going to bleed production. So I like Brock Purdy. That way I get all the production in the receiving game. All the production from Ayu, Kittle, Debo if he plays. So I really like that angle. That's what I'm going to do. Now, if you watch the ETOF 2-1 sports show or you looked at my TikTok page, you know there's one running back I absolutely love. We're going to the Gus bus. Give me Gus Edwards. Chiefs are 27th DVOA defending the run, and I really think this is the key to the matchup, the path to the victory for the Ravens. Lean on the run, control the clock, keep Mahomes on the sidelines. Last five games, not counting the Chargers game because of the players sitting out for the Chiefs. Cook, 18 for 61. Boats are 8 for 31. Mixon, 21 for 65. White, 22 for 145. Harris, 4 for 12. So, so the last five backs, they have ran for 326 yards, 68.8 yards per game, allowing 4.5 yards per carry. Harbaugh's going to lean on this run game. He's going to keep Mahomes on the sideline. The next one we're going to at the wide receiver position, look, we're taking St. Brown of the Lions. 49ers do a lot of zone coverage against 
a lot of zone coverage. Against zone defense, St. Brown averages 2.84 yards per route run. Lamore is going to be inside when the Lions go to three wide receiver sets. He is six in corners in fantasy, excuse me, in yards allowed the season. 49ers give up the 13th most fantasy points per game to opposing wide receivers, eighth most in the slot. Obviously, with the spread, Lions could be behind the eight ball and forced to throw the ball more. That is why I like Amon Ron St. Brown. So there you have it. The three guys that I am using in my lineup this week. We're going with Brock Purdy, Gus Edwards, and St. Brown. This is going to allow you guys with playing down a little bit, not giving the top tier to fill in those stars and build as you want. Now let's shift our attention over to some betting and welcome David, aka Better DP21. We have reached the part of the podcast where we're talking some betting and who better to come on than David, aka Better DP21. David, how are you doing today, my man? Doing good. Really, uh, you know, just catching my breath was just in uh, having a had a hardcore workout earlier. You know, just trying to relax for the rest of the day. Uh, enjoying being here. Enjoying getting back from vacation. So kicking my ass a little bit and ready to, you know, cash some tickets this weekend. So just to lay it out for everybody, those who don't know, last week, one of us was in surgery recovery mode, just laid up in his bed all weekend, hating life. And the other one was sitting on his ass in Costa Rica, drinking drinks. So I'll just let you guys guess who is which (laughs) by the tone in my voice, if you will. Um, Serious note, glad you're back. Um, hope yeah. you enjoyed it. It was your birthday weekend. Hope you had a good time. Um, for those listening for the first time, this is how it goes. David gives a first half bet. I give a player prop. David gives a full side. And I give a full side. David, you're the guest. Why don't you kick us off, my man? All right, yeah. So uh, first game that I'm looking at for the first half is actually going to be Lions and 49ers. And I'm looking at the... Uh, first half total of 25 and a half my uh i'm looking at the over 25 and a half um so my model average is showing this to be upwards of uh 31 um close to 32 31 and a half 32 points depending on how you want to round that but um basically we're getting you know close to a very you know six to seven point margin here on that number uh this opened at 24 and a half so it's already bumped up in the week um, by a point. Um, I like that the line is moving in our direction. Um, you know, overall, the way that I look at this is um, pretty pretty straightforward, right? Like the Lions are going to be able to um, pretty much run the ball, I think, against the 49ers. Uh, 49ers rushing defense is actually their weaker point um, at their overall uh, level of, of defense. Uh, they have a you know, they have a better passing defense than they do rushing defense. And then the opposite is true of the Lions. They have a better uh, rushing defense than they do passing defense. And these numbers are very identical. Um, you know, so everything I'm talking about here is just based on overall rankings, um, you know, that I can get and gleam uh, from overall season going into postseason here. And, you know, so it's kind of it's kind of where it's at. You know, 49ers should be pretty much throwing the ball. Lions should be running the ball. They should be using – the running backs as an extension um, of, of that pass and rush. And, you know, I just really like uh, where this is at overall. You know, both of them offensively are top five 
um, close to top five, both rushing and passing offenses. I expect them to want to go up and down the field uh, pretty quickly. So I think they get out to a good start. I think this is going to be one of those back and forth type of games. Um, you know, they're, they're going to want to air it out. They're going to want to put points up early and often. So, you know, I really like the edge again, like I said, getting about a six, seven point edge over the book line right now. Uh, really good position. I like where the line has moved in our favor throughout the week. So give me the 25 and a half over for the first half. I like that. I like that. I think this game's going to shoot out. Like you said, I think the 49ers defense, especially against the run, is a little, I don't know the word I'm looking for, can be attacked. Yep. And if that happens, what that is going to do is it's going to force Warner to come up and then leave Laporta open. And Warner's elite covering the t- covering the tight end. That's going to open it more. And we've, I mean, we've made a ton of money fading this line secondary. So I think exactly. I think this game has a potential to blow blow out in terms of points. And it's going to be seven degrees. It's going to be nice. It's going to be no wind, less than ten mile per hours, perfect weather. And my player prop goes into that. And this is the one that just doesn't make sense to me. When I saw this line, I absolutely had to take it. David Montgomery, plus 170 anytime touchdown. Montgomery was fifth in the league in carries inside the 20, fifth in the league red carries inside the 10, and sixth in the league in with carries inside the five-yard line. Montgomery leads the Lions with red zone carries in the playoffs. Also, if they get down there, I think Campbell is going to be going for it. I think he's going to be pushing the medal pushing the oh, pedal definitely. to the metal in the red zone going for it, thus leads to more opportunities because he knows he has to get come away with sixes when he gets down there and he can't come away with threes. Also, he's gone over this total four of his last five games. I like David Montgomery anytime touchdown plus 170. That's really great odds. I love the plus dog money on that um, as my dog is over here now as a sign. <laughs> So dog was a dog. Uh, dog was a dog. David, what is your right. side, my friend? Yeah, so looking at the full game, we're going over to the other other side, right? Let's go to the AFC, looking at the Chiefs and Ravens. Um, <clears throat> taking Baltimore, minus four. This line opened up at minus three. You know, some of us were able to jump on that line, but others of I us was. that were, you know, on on a beach having a, you know, having a margarita or something – weren't able to look at these lines that early. So um, right after, well, before, well, actually, I don't mean to cut you off. Okay. Yeah, no, you're good. Um, you're good. I, I don't mean to cut you off. And, you know, I apologize for you, but I should ask you this at the beginning and it just hit my head right now. You're a Bills fan. Yep. A, for question one, do they need to get off McDermott? No. Because ah, here's a no. stat. Here's a stat, and Bryce from the I Need It Sports Pod, whose podcast I was on last week, had this stat. If a player and coach, which I found amazing, if a player and coach don't win a title in their first five years together, mm-hmm. they've never won a title. Hmm. That's pretty And But this year, it's Lamar's sixth year. So Lamar and Harbaugh have a trend to buck that title buck that trend interesting trend yeah i I find that interesting too and you know the reason 
that I'm saying no is because Josh Allen to me is still one of the top three, maybe top five players in the league, you know, depending on your argument. And as long as we have him, you know, at our, as our QB, the, the bills always have a shot to, to run it back to this level and, and to get there. So, you know, I know, I know we have a lot of moving pieces this off season. It's going to be a lot of interesting things with our defense and, you know, but our whole offensive line is coming back. I mean, that, that I'm aware of. And, you know, we may have some shuffle pieces on offense. You know, let's see what happens with Diggs again. The, the Diggs drama, you know, come August is always something. And, you know, but, yeah, I'm, I remain confident, you know, just just seeing the way that you got Allen and you've got a healthy Allen for the majority of the year and you got a healthy offensive line, the way that Cook started to break out. I don't see why they couldn't run it back you know, get up to the level that they want to get to. So um, I, I, I hate it. You know, I just, and I know we're going tangent a little bit here, but you know, my, my whole thing is that, you know, you're just going to hear people be like, Oh, the bills window is closed. This might've been the last year. And it's like, no, not, not when you have Josh Allen, it, it's not that case. I mean, you need a great quarterback. You have a great line, great running back to boot. Um, you know, cook, I think started to flash what everybody expected of him too. And, uh, yeah, I, I expect the team to, to run it back. <clears throat> Next question, and you touched yep. on, on Diggs. Did they move him? Possibly. I mean, you know, I'm sure he got pretty frustrated toward the end of the season with, you know, targets and workload and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, receivers are, are drama queens. What do, what do you want to say about that, right? They're divas. Um, you know, they want the spotlight. They want the ball. I think if he – you know, if he's smart, then he's. I think he stays in place because, honestly, we had a lot of great other, you know, secondary receivers that were, were starting to step up. Shakir, you know, other names like that that really were, you know, showing their worth and their value. And, you know, I, I think if he was to go to any other place, who is it? I'm blanking. Um, Belichick. No, 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 no. I was thinking of... Uh, is it Brandon Cooks? Yeah. Um, you know, he he would end up like a Brandon Cooks, like going to another team at that point, you know, like or another Julio Jones, like, you know, mm-hmm. big name, other team, but he's not gonna be a number one, number two on any other team, in my opinion. When I look around, you know, from the league just as a whole, no nothing stands out to me where he would supplant other people um to get that notoriety he's probably looking for. Now Last question. Yep. You want Joe Brady back? Who? Oh yeah, definitely. Now, after that quick Bills talk break, let's go back to our regular scheduled program. Tell yeah. us why you like the Ravens here minus the four, my friend. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so first of all, um, again, model average here. I'm looking at the Ravens to win this game. You ready for this? By two scores, by ten points. That's what that's what my model average is showing right now. So again, we have about a six point edge on the book line right now, and this did open up at minus three earlier in the week. Another great you know direction of line movement in our favor, um, you know, especially on some of the sharp books like Pinnacle and stuff like that. So you know, I really like where that favors us. Um, Ravens across the board, top five in rushing offense, rushing defense, passing offense, passing defense. The Chiefs have weaknesses at 
rushing defense and their rushing offense. I mean, you know, we really held Pacheco in check last week. They actually, you know, uh, in my opinion, uh, got a little lucky with Kelsey just being wide open. I don't know how every year that man is just running free somewhere toward the end zone. I, I don't understand how people lose that man. But point is, um, you know, the Chiefs have more weaknesses with the run game uh, than they do in the passing game. So I'm going to look for the Chiefs to pass the ball versus run. Um, I'm going to look for the Ravens to remain balanced and be able to, you know, run, exploit uh, matchups. I mean, it's very interesting because you're talking about two mobile quarterbacks. Um, yeah. But, you know, obviously Lamar, I think, is the more mobile quarterback in comparison. And because he has such a better rushing presence than Mahomes um, and the Chiefs have such a weaker rushing presence, I you know, just overall – I think Lamar is going to exploit that. I think they're going to use him and Gus and go one, two, one, two all the yeah. way down the field. And, yeah. you know, then they'll, they'll, they'll hit their tight end, but likely, and they'll hit, you know, some of the other receivers, you know, Beckham will make an appearance, you know, things like that. But I, I really like overall, just the overall defense of the Ravens being stronger as well as their rushing game being stronger to control the ball, control the clock and ultimately win this game. You know, likely in the second half, I think the first half remains pretty close. Um, you know, that everybody, you know, from those lines that I've seen in the first half, it was nothing to really, you know, exploit their point in Vegas totals from my model are right on par. Same with the Lions sitting at three uh, for the side for the first half. So staying away from the first half, go full, full game at the minus four. You got a better edge, about six points, you know, for what my model is saying, to win by two scores. I really think the Ravens are going to exploit KC. I think they're going to walk it in uh, or rush it in, you know, into the Super Bowl. I love that bet. Um, just a couple more things. I'm, I'm going to piggyback off you because I have this bet too. Okay. Chiefs struggle against the run, mm-hmm. allowing 114.9 yards per uh Per game, allowed a buck 86 to the Bills. I don't think they're going to be able to stop the run. Allen went for 12 for 72. What is Lamar going to be able to do running the ball? You mentioned Kelsey. The Ravens have Hamilton. Hamilton is elite covering the tight end. They are eighth covering the tight, eighth DVOA against the pass. They are allowing only 42.3 yards per game to opposing tight ends. I think they're going to have, I think they're going to be able to take out Kelsey. Humphreys is back. You shadow Rice. You can't run with Pacheco. That forces Hardman and NBS. I think it's just a great matchup. I think they're going to use the run game and just keep Mahomes on the sidelines. I absolutely love this bet. Like yeah. this bet a lot, my friend. Um, mine. And you know what? I know I'm wearing a Lions hat. Call me a homer. I don't care. Give it to me. Lions plus seven. We saw a tick up to seven and a half with the Debo news. Yep. But we really don't know if he's going to play. And if he does, how effective is he going to be? He was just at practice and it was a no contact limited practice. This is a, from what I'm reading, this is the same shoulder injury that he had against the Browns that forced him to miss two games earlier in the season. And I got this stat from Matt Jacob on Twitter, 49ers one in four when Debo gets two targets or fewer last win was their only win was last week against the Packers. When Debo starts and finishes the game, they're 10 and 3 ATS. When he doesn't start or leaves early, 
0-5 ATS. I know people are going to hype CMC, but the person that is the key to this offense is Debo Samuel. If Debo can't go or is limited, this is going to put more pressure on the Niners to run the ball, and that is what the Lions are elite doing, stopping the run. Road dogs in the conference championship game are 58.3% ATS. One seeds in the playoffs since 2001 are 44.4% ATS. You can run on this 49ers team, like you mentioned before. They're only 15th DVOA defending the run, allowing 4.2 yards per rushing attempt. Last week, the Packers rushed for a buck 36. And the Niners have given up 103 rushing yards per game in their last three games. Lions have the fourth best rushing attack per DVOA, averaging 132 yards per game and 4.5 yards per attempt, which is fifth best in the league. I think the Lions will be able to run the ball, thus taking more pressure off of golf and allow him to throw it. And if that happens, that's going to force the 49ers to bring Fred Warner, who is the best linebacker in the league covering the tight end, out of out of covering Sam Laporta and going up to stop the run. Why is that important? Laporta, second in the team in targets, second in the team in reception, second in the team in third down conversion rate. If Laporta can run against someone else, that is absolutely huge. Also, St. Brown has a great matchup for the Lions. Three wide receiver sets. He'll be lined up in the slot against Lenore, who has allowed the six most yards per game to oppose, sorry, six most yards this season to opposing wide receivers. So I think the Lions will have success throwing the ball. Weather, 70 degrees, nine mile per hour winds. Perfect for Jared Goff. It's been a magical run, dude. Look, I'm a Lions fan. We haven't gotten this far since 1991 when we got thoroughly embarrassed by the by by the then Washington Redskins. Mm-hmm. I think this is the year where we see Jared Goff run out on Allegiant Field with Eminem rapping "Lose Yourself." <laughs> I love it. I... Plus the seven, and I'll give a little sprinkle on the money line. Of course, always, always. I mean, I really love that bet. If I didn't, you know, if if I was looking at another side, um, it would be the Lions for me because the way that I'm looking at this, you know, and I kind of explained a little bit earlier as well, as you mentioned, right? I think, you know, the rushing uh, defense of the Lions is actually going to step up and help contain CMC. Um, I really also like... Um, to your point, I don't think Devo is actually going to be as in full effect as everybody's expecting. Um, I do. That does obviously leave Ayuk and um, Kittle, you know, for targets. But, you know, ultimately, uh, I really like where I think, I think, like you said, uh, Campbell's going to take some chances. Um, I think, you know, everything about them uh, sets up really nicely. Where I'm going with my numbers on this one is that I have this at eight, eight and a quarter. So we'll call it eight, a little bit better than a touchdown. The line is sitting at seven and a half currently, a little uptick there, like you mentioned um, from earlier in the week. I mean, if this thing reaches eight for any reason, I'm all in on the lines covering that number. Um, I, I really, really like where that's at. I mean, that's not going to be far off of my line. To me, at that point, it's 50-50 game. Give me value on the dog. Um that's a and that's a big dog in the fight. Just pushing the chips in. I love it, man. I love it, dude. Shoot or shoot, man. Shoot or shoot. Shoot or shoot, like Clay Thompson. So it sounds like we're pretty much lined up. I we like are. the Ravens. 
I bet the Ravens, you bet the Ravens, I bet the Lions. The gist I'm getting for you is you're betting the Lions. And the, it's it's an interesting thought. I was talking to um, my buddy earlier in the week, and uh, actually it was Wednesday, my fault. And we're starting to see this thing where what when we go into that last game, what is going to be the side that the books need hypothetically if the Ravens yeah. win? Right. Because we're seeing a lot of people say how the Lions are the public dog. They have all these future bets on the Detroit line. Not future bets, excuse me, money line bets on the Lions. But what about the just the average Joe that's going to just money line parlay the Ravens and 49ers? What about those? Oh, yeah. What about the 49ers future tickets? There is a ton of exposure in the market with 49ers futures to win the NFC and to win the Super Bowl. Like it's going to be interesting to see when when the dust settles, what side is Vegas staying for? Because I know right now, game wise, the Lions are getting the majority of the coin, but overall, yeah. in the money line parlays and the future market, you know, just kind of something to think about. And I do talk with my hands a lot. I, I've like <laughs> I've noticed the more I've done these, like I'm always doing this or doing this. I talk with my hands a lot, so I need to. So I to to your point, all right. So I'm I'm looking up some of these numbers in real time. Um, to your point, the where this stands is actually for Detroit's money line sitting at about, I don't know, probably an average of 290 right now. Uh, I think some of the sharp folks got it at 292. Um, 75% of the money is on Detroit. So that is interesting to me. I, I don't love, I do not love heavy public um, teams with those, with those kinds of numbers, but you made a great point about all the futures for the 49ers. I mean, to your point, everybody's lining up the Super Bowl colors, right? They're like, oh, my God, it's you know already showing Ravens and 49ers. And, you know, and there you go. I'm talking with my hands, too. Um, but, you know, like, you know, from that point in perspective, you know, all, all the money line for KC, 77% of the tickets for the money line about plus 180 is on KC right now. You know, that that's that's not good for KC. I also don't find that great for Detroit. Um, but on the other end, you know, when you're looking at the actual spreads, it's a 50-50 game in KC and Baltimore on the spread, and it's a 55-45 Detroit, um, you know, money on the spread as well. So, like I said, I, I'm – going to be watching that Detroit line very carefully going into the weekend. If it moves any further up, if that ticks another point for any reason, half a point for any reason from seven and a half to eight, jump on the lions. Um, I really just, I love where they're at for that line right now. Um, You mentioned the public and now I want to hear your talk on this. I was talking to mm -hmm. Gino about it. I feel on a normal everyday Sunday in the NFL, we want to fade the public teams, the public sure. dogs, whatever. But as the NFL playoffs start and as it dwindles down because there's less selection in the game, I really don't think the public size matters that much. You know what I mean? Like I don't yeah. I don't feel because there's just so much money just gravitating in. Yep. So I don't, I don't just I don't disagree with that. You know, it's just always been my overall philosophy looking at the big picture of you know betting. Um, I'm mm -hmm. not a, I'm not a fan of 
a lot of heavy public money on certain teams. I agree with you when it when it gets to the playoffs. You, you're right. Like you only have so many positions to take, and you only have so many teams, you know, as well to take. And you know, from that perspective, I'm not. I wasn't focused in on uh, public money when I'm when I'm talking about these plays. I was talking about line movement, where I was already seeing things heading in my same direction based on my model averages and numbers. So, you know, I, I agree with you is, is where I'm coming from. When it gets to the playoffs, that's that's the last thing I'm paying attention to, you know, and especially when we get to Super Bowl week, um, you know, which I'm going to be in Vegas for work that week. So I'm, I'm actually really tough looking life. forward to Again, you and your guy be in tough life. I'm in freezing <laughs> rain, you know, still st- limited, still recovering post-op, and you're just – Costa Rica, Las Vegas, just just living the good life, my friend. Just trying. Got to keep it moving, man. Got to keep it moving. Uh, David, appreciate you coming on. When you tell everyone where they can find you on social media, my friend. Yeah, as always, you know, anybody looking to talk lines, numbers for any sports, you know, I, I got models for everything here. So, you know, definitely looking at uh, look look me up on Twitter, Instagram, betterdp twenty one, better with an O R. Make sure to give him a follow, and uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk next week, my friend. All right, thank you, sir. Make sure to give my boy David a follow at BetterDP21. Now let's shift our attention over to the association. Big news this week with the Milwaukee Bucks moving on from Adrian Griffin, and let's welcome a first timer, Dalton Sell, to the podcast to talk some NBA. We've reached a part of the podcast where we're talking some NBA, and we had big news this week with the Milwaukee Bucks firing Adrian Griffin, and we have a first-timer coming on the podcast whose brain I'm really excited to, to pick, Dalton Sell from BehindTheBucksPass.com. Dalton, how you doing today, my man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. A little warm here in Chicago, high 35. So, you know, st- ice is melting. So, don't have to worry about slipping. So, that's great for me. Um, obviously, huge news coming out of Milwaukee with them firing Adrian Griffin. What was your first reaction when this news broke? I was shocked. I was completely shocked. Like, I knew it hadn't been a perfect ride, but I felt like the Bucks were definitely going to ride it out for the season and just see, you know, what improvements can be made at the trade deadline. That was really the big thing was I felt like if changes were coming, they were coming at the deadline. So when I got the notification, Hey, Griffin's out, I was, I was stunned. So very shocked. Now um, when Griffin signed on, obviously this Bucks team was different. The big trade sending Dame there for Drew hadn't really taken place yet. Do you feel if Drew holiday was still on the team, that this trade would have happened. The firing that you mean? The firing, excuse me. My yes. bad, my bad, the firing, my fault. From everything that I've read, been so many reports the past few days, they hired Griffin partially because he was the guy that they picked, the team picked, like guys like Giannis wanted and stuff, but they reportedly expected to take a step back. Like they were like, okay, we might regress a little bit so we can bring on a inexperienced coach who can develop a little bit. But like you said, once that Dame trade went down, everything really changed. And it was kind of like, hey, we can't really afford to sit back. So definitely, I think if Holiday was there, I do think that no matter what their record was, Griffin still would be there. So the the Dame trade really changed everything from what I've read, for sure. 
I look at it like this. When I first heard this is what was going through my mind, what happened for this move? They started the season slow, 30 and 13 when they fired, fired them. Second best record in the East. Why now? What happened for them to decide this is a time we have to pull the trigger and fire Adrian Griffin? It just felt like things really weren't clicking, you know, from everything that I've read behind the scenes, players weren't really buying into the system and the schemes. And it seemed like the players were kind of taking control of those things. Like they would be like, Hey coach, we should do this and this instead of what we are doing. I know one of the big things was starting the season with Brooke Lopez, not in the drop defense so much. And the players were like, no, that's kind of where we should use him. That's why he was the defensive player of the year runner up last year. So Players couldn't really get into the schemes. Some of that is personnel. I will say the Bucks aren't the strongest built defensive team. Lost Holiday is the big one everybody talks about, but even Javon Carter and Wesley Matthews leaving in free agency, two key guys from last year, they just don't really have the, the personnel to play that kind of def- defensive scheme that he wanted to. So it, it just made for a bit of a bit of an issue, and Griffin had some – in-game stuff, you could tell sometimes, you know, frustration from the players because things weren't working or they wanted to try something different. So it just felt like it wasn't it wasn't meshing how they hoped it would. Now, Terry Scouts was on the staff at the beginning of the year. Great relationship with Damian Lillard. We all know Lillard was very public about him wanting to go to Miami. Obviously, there was an incident at practice. Now Terry Scouts is gone. Was this kind of like the first crack in the Bucks and Griffin's relationship? And the, should this should that situation have been given more attention? I do think so. I do think it was kind of an odd situation because the Bucks brought him in. It wasn't Griffin like, hey, I want to bring him in. And I read from, I believe it was, I believe it was Mark Stein said that if Terry Stotts didn't get fired or didn't get let go or didn't quit he'd have been the coach of the Bucks two weeks ago. So it felt like the Bucks kind of brought him in to be this, this backup plan if they did fire Griffin like this. So it definitely raised some eyebrows when Terry Stotts left. So there were two sides. Some people were like, oh, well, Stotts is kind of soft. And then some people were like, oh, maybe Griffin is, you know, something's going on that he's defying this well-respected coach who's worked with this superstar and has been around for a long time. So it was it was definitely an eyebrow raiser, especially because, you know, I, I thought he was a great addition. I was really excited to see what he could do back with Dame and what he could do with Giannis in the offense. And it was definitely an eyebrow raiser. So I think that it might have kind of laid the groundwork for people to keep an eye on this situation for sure. To me, Giannis looks insanely frustrated with how stuff is going this season. He's acting out in ways we've never seen before. You know, a perfect example is after the Pacers game when he chased down that game ball. Do you think, like you mentioned before, Giannis sat in during the process? And how I understood it, and I may be wrong, it came down to Nurse, Kenny Atkins, and Griffin. With Giannis basically signing off on Griffin and the success that's going on with Philly having Nurse, Do you think this is causing the frustration we're seeing from Giannis this this year? I think it's just more so the team's overall struggles. Part of that could be due to Griffin and the schemes and all that, but it just kind of feels like 
they haven't meshed as well as they have in previous years. I say that as they have the, the second best record in the NBA, but things just haven't clicked as seamlessly. Part of that's because you're bringing in, you know, Damian Lillard. I remember when they brought in Drew Holiday, they had, they got off to a really slow start because they were trying to implement that piece in there. And, you know, as the season went on, things got clicking a bit more. And it feels like that's what's happening now. They started off slow, but they're still winning. Part of that's because of the easy schedule. I think they've had one of the easiest schedules to date. But just frustration all around, you know, with Middleton on the minutes, minutes limit early in the season, it felt like that kind of hindered him a little bit because he was having to do more. Dame kind of unsure where to put the pieces and where to be and things like that. And that's no small thing trying to come together with the best player that you've ever played with. You know, when the trade went down, everybody's like, Oh, they'll hit it off instantly. Giannis and Dame, they have the potential to be, but you know, you can't just put them together and expect them to go crazy every single night. So I definitely think there's some frustration there more so just with the losses the team has had and the the fashion that they've lost. Cause they've had some bad losses this year against teams that they should have beaten but I feel like he's kind of – I don't want to say to blame to that. A lot of people are blaming him for letting go of Nick Nurse. From what I've read, he really wanted a former player in there. Yeah. So I kind of understood the angle with bringing in Griffin. And that's why I think having Doc will help. You know, I, I think Doc and him can click a little bit because Doc was a very good player. So I think there's frustration there. But I think, as always, winning cures all. If Doc comes in and he's like, hey, this is what we got to do, and everybody buys in and they start winning games, things will be good. You know, like we saw last night, the Bucks came out, Cleveland, very good, very nice, a lot of energy. Giannis had a 30-point 30, 30 triple-double. Dame in a groove, Chris Middleton dunking, and, you know, it just seemed like the energy was up. So I think the frustration can be there, but for the most part, things are good. And they covered. For me, they covered. That was the big thing for me <laughs> last night. They covered that six and a half. Um, yes. I think one of the big things that I look at, I'm a, I'm a coach in my spare time. This is Griffin's coaching staff. What is Rivers going to come in and be expected to work with this coaching staff that he has no ties to, no trust with? Or do you think we're going to see him slowly adding on some assistants he's worked with in the past that are currently employed, or is his coaching staff going to stay intact? From what I've heard, they're definitely looking at high-level assistants to bring in. I think maybe they might even call Terry Stotts and be like, hey, you know, what do you think? You maybe want to come back under Doc Rivers? I can't confirm that, but I know they're talking about him bringing one assistant with him. The name is jogging my memory. He's a high-level guy. He was with him with Philly. So he, I think they're definitely looking to add guys. I don't know if they'll keep the entire staff. I think maybe a couple of those people might stay. But if Doc's like, hey, I want to bring some of my guys that were with me in Philly, you know, these are experienced guys that I have experience working with. I definitely think the Bucks would let him because, you know, it's they gave him a lot of money. They're going to want to be like, hey, you know, do you do what you can to maximize this season and beyond with the team's title aspiration. So. I wouldn't be surprised if there were more shakeups on the staff, for sure. Rivers isn't known as a big developmental coach. I love the draft pick of Andre Jackson from, from UConn. I think he's a great wing, can develop to that stop defender, that wing defender they need. What Are we going to see Jackson start to be limited? Or are we going to see his development be limited? 
based on Rivers' history as not a developmental coach? That is one of the big questions I have because it's been such a weird season for him because even with Griffin, he didn't really start in the rotation. And then as the year has gone on, he's kind of been in there more and more. And then even with Prunty last night, he didn't play until the game was already decided. I think he played like less than a minute, which I am a little worried about because like you said, the pick is, I think the pick is great. I think it's a steal. He's been given the team energy on defense and, with his rebounding and passing. So I think he needs to play. I think he should be taking up minutes, but I'm, I'm a little worried about it. I'm a little worried. He might get buried on the bench. Now I have to see what they do after the trade deadline, because right now the roster is kind of, I'm not, I don't know what I'm trying to say. The roster is offensive heavy. Yes. Offensive heavy. But if they make a trade to move, like say Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis, Connaughton's the guy that I think Jackson needs minutes over because Connaughton is, he's just taken a big step back this year. Yeah. He's struggling on defense. He's his three point percentage has gone up a bit lately, but he can't stay in front of anybody on defense. And I don't know if the calf injury from last season is still bothering him. That really took a toll on him last year. So I'm just kind of ready for Jackson to ease into that role, you know, give him 15 minutes a night come in, play defense, and I'm just hoping Doc Rivers gives him the chance because I I think that's a huge piece for them. I think it's a big get for them, and they need the athleticism and defense to guard guys like the bigger wings. You know, they're looking yeah. for a big wing defender, and he's not ready to do that full time, but you got to give him the minutes to develop into that role. So, fingers crossed he keeps playing. I sure hope so. Are the Bucks in a better position today? than they were on Monday to win a championship this year. I do think so. I really do. A lot of people have been ragging on the Doc Rivers hire. From the moment I saw that Griffin was fired, I'm like, oh, well, they're going to bring in Doc Rivers. It's it's the obvious fit. Just because of his experience, it felt like they wanted a guy who's coached stars, which Doc Rivers has. Despite his playoff shortcomings, he's a guy who's won it all. It was many, many years ago. But he's a guy who can work with star players and just get things clicking. He's He can be well-respected in that locker room. And I feel like he can bring schemes on both sides of the ball that these guys can work with. It's going to be tough because it's mid-season. You know, something like this rarely happens where you fire a rookie head coach, bring in an experienced head coach who doesn't – I don't think he has much experience with anybody on this roster. I could be wrong. But it's going to be tough. I think there might be some growing pains right away, but I do think they got better – just because it felt like Griffin's inexperience was showing a lot, you know, whether it was in-game management of things or adjustments or schemes, it just seemed like this wasn't the type of hire that the team needed. Like even when they hired him, even before the Dame trade, I wasn't really high on it. I was like, I wanted nurse just like everybody else, but I wanted somebody with experience in there because you have a title window with Giannis. Giannis is not Giannis isn't going to be there forever. So yeah. you really want to maximize that. And getting a rookie head coach was kind of a head scratcher. So I definitely think they improved to say it just shortly, I guess. Um, I totally agree with you when this news went down and they hired Griffin, I was kind of like, Oh, this is a little weird to me. Um, lastly, will this firing a Griffin hurt Giannis's legacy? We've seen in the past, we've seen Jordan, make a coaching change, 
went on that run with Phil Jackson. We've seen Magic move on from Westhead, got Pat Riley, Blake Show was born. If Giannis doesn't win another title this year or next year, is this going to hurt his legacy? I don't think it'll overshadow what he has done. I do think winning cures all, as you kind of said. Like, you know, when the Bucks lost Jason Kidd, nobody really talks about that now because the Bucks went on to win a title. Giannis went on to win a couple MVPs and a defensive player of the year. So you really got to win. And, you know, it's a tall task. Everybody points to Doc's playoff shortcomings and all that. Nobody thinks they can do it. I think they can. They just have to. It's got to come together and dial in. And I truly think that if he can get this team over the hump, shake that doc narrative and just win, people aren't really going to remember it. You know, people from the outside, you know, they're going to start that coach killer narrative. I don't really buy into that. I think a lot of people just kind of throw that around to try and throw Giannis under the bus. But no, I don't think it'll hamper his legacy unless it's just some like just a dumpster fire, like something. they just completely go off the rails or something like that, which I don't think will happen. Now, if they get to the end of this season and, you know, maybe they fire Doc Rivers at the end of this season, I could see some, some justifiable coach killer narratives coming out. But for now, I don't think so. I think I, I want to see where things play out. And if they can win it all, I think that'll just evaporate. Dalton, I'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day, coming on the podcast, talking some Milwaukee Bucks basketball. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on social media and what they can expect when they visit your website, uh, beyondthebuckspass.com. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter or X at um, sell underscore Dalton, S-E-L-L underscore Dalton. And at Behind the Buck Pass, just cover the Bucks, you know, rumors, we got a big trade deadline coming up, so a lot of trade content coming out, guys we want to see. Certainly going to be a lot of Doc Rivers content and, you know, just stuff for the fans. We do everything for the fans, so swing on by. It's a great site. That piece you wrote about P.J. Washington, it was like you're reading my mind. You wrote one, I think, over the summer, why they should get P.J. Washington, like reading my mind. Make sure you to check that stuff out, and uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. I've had my eyes on him for a while, so I I still wouldn't be mad if he came through that door, but I don't know. Please make sure to give Dalton a follow and X at cell underscore Dalton. Also, make sure to visit the website beyondthebuckspass.com. You can follow that on X as well on beyond at, excuse me, beyond the bucks. Great guy, knows his stuff. Make sure you give that guy a follow and give his website a follow as well now let's shift our attention over to some horseway racing and let's welcome gino aka it's me gino b the host of the very successful that's what g said podcast the show so we can talk some pegasus we've reached a part of the podcast where we're going to be talking some horse racing big weekend of horse racing with the pegasus world cup down at Gulfstream. who better come on than gino bacola host of the That's What G Said podcast. Gino, how you doing today, my man? Man, doing well. It's a really good card on Saturday at Gulfstream. Sometimes, you know, the big days can have some shorter fields. There'll be uh, a really heavy favorite in a race that some horses don't want to face. You'll get a field of five, a couple of them throughout the card. 13 races on Saturday at Gulfstream. 
every single race has at least nine horses entered. And I think from races six on, uh, that's when all the stakes races start. All of them have at least 10. The late pick four, all fields of 12. 12, 12, 12, 12. Just huge, huge fields. Great races, some opportunities in the pick fours, pick fives, pick sixes. Warm heart with Ryan Moore and Aiden O'Brien is the morning line favorite in the World Cup turf invitational stakes. And he came up just short in the Breeders' Cup, Philly and Mayor turf. Literally just ran in December in Hong Kong. Will the travel there? Is that something we should look at when we cap this race? Is that going to affect his chances tomorrow in the race? That's a very good uh, notice by you, Eric, because Warm Heart is, as you mentioned, she's a Philly. She was in the Philly and Mare turf. So she she just turned four right now. And then a couple weeks ago is a new year. So she's a newly turned four-year-old Philly. And the race that she's in, it is the turf. She's not in the the Philly and Mare turf. She's facing the boys in this race. So first off, she's facing the boys and older horses, like older boys. She's also doing it after that travel. Look at her travel before. She was in Ireland. She was in the UK. We saw her at race at York and then at Longchamp. She comes to Santa Anita. From Santa Anita, she goes to Shaw Tin, and then she comes back here. That's a ton. Having to do all of that and be at a very short price, she's definitely a favorite that I think you're right for taking a shot against and maybe playing underneath. She's very, very classy. So I could see her being, if the way I would try to beat her, she wouldn't be a horse that I don't like at all completely. If you're playing tries, exactas, I could super stuff like that. I could see her being in, you know, the second and third, fourth spots. But on the win end, she might be a horse that's worth taking a swing against. Could she be a horse where we play everyone on top and then her underneath in an exacta? I I don't necessarily know if if that would be the best wager because she could as equally run like well finish third, well finish a close fourth, especially on the grass like this. I I think you would maybe find a price or two horses that you would like in the race. And then you can use her underneath along with a few others. She will, I think she's a major player at her best, right? If she shows up and everybody in this race showed up and they ran her best, she probably wins. But like with any football game or basketball game, you have a favorite. Do you have reasons to poke holes in them? Well, we do. All of this travel, having to deal with facing the boys now, and she's just turning old, again older. She did face older, obviously, in the Philly Mare turf, but this is just going to be a different ball game for her with all that travel. She's also probably best going a little bit longer. If you notice her races, you see the bulk of them at a mile and a half, mile and a half, mile and a quarter. And this is at a mile and an eighth. So just a little bit different. They might going be going a little bit quicker early than she's used to. The tempo just might be different. So plenty of reasons, I think, to, to play against her, Eric. An interesting long shot in this race from your neck of the woods out in California is Web Slinger. Morning line, we're looking at a very juicy 15 to run. Ran second at the Hollywood Derby, losing by a neck. Could this horse be a long shot? Could this horse shock the world? Is is this horse live in this race? 
Web Slinger is my top pick in the race. Uh, I sent you a little write up. You sent me some questions that you were going to possibly ask. And then I just, afterwards, I just sent you that completely separate. Some of the horses that I was looking at and Web Slinger was one of the horses that I gave out was my top pick in this race. What I love about Web Slinger, you know what you're going to get from him. He is a, a deeper closer, but he will always make his late rally. He will always sit back and they will, he'll always pass half the field, most of the field. In his last 10 starts, he has three wins, three seconds, and two thirds. And the other time he didn't run well, he finished fourth and he was only beaten the length that day. He always shows up. He just needs the races to have a little bit of early speed, a contested early pace, and that'll set up for him. Now, if you look at the way this race shapes up, you do have from the outside, Main event, who's probably the one to catch. And main event just went wire to wire in his last two races. So he's really sharp and he will try to do that. I do feel like in this race, there are two or three others that will probably make life difficult for main event. So the way you want to look at it is main event, web slinger, two opposite styles of horses, right? So if main event runs well, it's probably not going to set up great for web slinger. If main event's getting pressured early and there's somebody else that goes to the lead, or maybe um, I know main event was one of your other questions. So we can kind of maybe incorporate it here or we can bring it back up if you want later. But Jerry, the nipper was in the same race with main event last time. I could see him getting a little more aggressive and trying to be more forwardly placed. He got stuck in traffic. And a lot of times when a horse will get in traffic, their following race, they'll uh, their riders or and their trainers will want to try to overcompensate. And sometimes that's good, right? Hey, we keep getting stuck in traffic. Let's just be a little faster early. Let's be a little more aggressive and see if we can stay out of some of that traffic. That might be the plan for Jerry the Nipper. I think between him, between um, main event, even with a horse like uh, Catnip who's drawn to the outside, Cheryl Spate, I could see a few of these horses pushing the pace. So I, I don't think it's going to be quite as easy in this race as just main event all the way around. Now, so base, that was my next question because main event is the pace. He's going to look, get look to get to the lead. And we've kind of seen not in this race, but in the next race, kind of a bias to horses that get on the lead with the pace. Could you don't think main event can go pace to pace. There are, there are versions of the race where he could absolutely get out front. I, I think with his outside draw, he's probably going to have to work a little hard to get all the way over from out there. You know, you look at his last two races, in ra- in those races where he drew, he drew the inside a lot closer to where didn't have to work very hard to get over. Now he's out wide, one or two other horses to the inside. Just like I mentioned, like a Jerry the Nipper. If they just try to hold their position a little bit and make him work, I think it's going to be a little too difficult for him. What ends up happening is it's another one of the, it's a, it's some of the situation where sometimes horses don't have enough speed to stay with main event early, but it, I believe that after it happens once or twice, so like when you play in an NBA series, for example, after game one, if they beat you because you can't rebound, you might make an adjustment, right? And go a little bigger early 
or try to double someone, or maybe you run your defense a little bit different, what you were doing. Maybe you don't uh, help as high, you know, you're, but you make an adjustment. I think after watching a horse like main event go wire to wire, I feel like some of these horses who faced him last time or one of the last couple times, they will probably make an adjustment and not try to let him get away with that early on. Now, the horse that I have the most question about is the three interrogation. He's only been in three races. Now he's won all three of them. Is he live in this race, or is this just kind of a too big of a step up in competition? I think he is a horse you have to use in your pick fours and pick fives. I just I feel like what we've seen from him, he has so much talent. He again, I I know when people are watching your shows, a lot of time they're watching a lot of other sports and they're, you know, big sports fans. And it just reminds me of one of those players who's really talented, but he has these little injuries, right? A guy like Anthony Davis, even who, you know, I think it gets overblown sometimes, but you see great players who, gosh, you wish could, if they didn't have to race. And then like, it's almost like the race will take so much out of them that they need a few months off. And it's, it's hard to string it together. That's what we've seen early on from integration, but he's only raced three times. He started a little bit late. He took a few months off. He's now had a few months off again. And his upside is so great that I don't want to leave him out of exotics. I'm going to be using him in because I think there is a chance that he is the goods and the sky is the limit for a horse like this. He might just be better than everybody in this race. And we just haven't really seen it in a big enough sample size to understand or against quite this level, but he's a player. Now, how are you betting this race? So the way I stacked them up, uh, I mentioned web slinger as my top selection. I'm going to be using uh, Jerry, the nipper, and Warm Heart as my top three. So those are the three I will use in all exotics. If you're playing a pick four or pick five, those would be the three I would start with on my ticket. And then I know everybody plays bigger or smaller size, so it's different. But those would be the three I'd want to start with. I feel like you have Warm Heart, um, uh, those those three, and Integration, who we were just talking about. Like in- Integration is the big, big wild card. So he is the horse who hat has the most ability to come out of this weekend and us going, Oh my God, it's integration. So, um, two, three, five, nine, I'm building everything around. I, I'm going to, I'm going to make main event, prove it to me. I'm going to make him prove it. Um, other horses that if, uh, you're playing deeper tickets, if this is a really big spread out race for you, uh, horses that we may not have mentioned at all, um, Adamo and Masterpiece. They're both right next door to each other. These are horses that are deeper closers that don't have the ability to be as consistent because they get caught in traffic. They they can't really go to the lead. They, they just don't have that in their arsenal. Mm-hmm. If the race shows up quick, early, they'll be like Web Slinger and they'll come closing. I just trust Web Slinger and I think he will offer you better value and sort of give you the same profile there. So uh, for exotics, we're going to build around Web Slinger, Jerry the Nipper, Integration, and Warm Heart. We'll have a couple prices in there. We'll have the two very logical horses in there with uh, 
integration and warm heart. Now, those are, you, you answer my next question. Pick fours, picks fives. Who do we need? Because that's what I love doing. I love playing the pick yeah. four, pick fives, especially on big days like these. And also more so like an everyday Friday, everyday Saturday, Sunday, whatever day at Oakland Gulfstream, whatever track. I'll play the pick five. But on these bigger days, I kind of like to play the pick fours and kind of spread out a little bit more. Yep. Because it's a little, I hate to use the term easier, but obviously you have to win four instead of what five. I, so what? playing the pick four is a little easier and it will still pay out on a day like today. Yeah, and it depends on when you're the type of player, especially if you throw in long shots here and there in your pick fours, if you have some nice prices throughout, it's easier. And some of these tracks too will ha- are starting to do a better job of uh, having lower takeout pick fours. They'll have the low takeout pick five. Uh, you know, for everyone, takeout is that just means that you're getting more of your money back, right? You know, instead of 10% takeout like we have normally if you're betting a, a sports wager you know minus 110 in horse racing a lot of times you'll see things that are 20 25 percent and that's that becomes frustrating if you have two different wagers and one of them they're going to only take out 10 or 12 or 15 and the other they're going to take out 25 i'll probably put a lot more of my bankroll on the one where i'll get more money back you know yeah and that's what ends up happening with the pick fives they also have one of my favorite new wagers if you're someone eric like you i think who Maybe you'll play a little during the week, but you'll probably play more races on the weekend when you're yeah. at home and you're not working and you're sitting there watching other sports and other games. And you'll, you know, you'll look at what's there's a carryover on something. Hey, should I play this carryover? Something like that. They have the coast to coast pick five wager now um, every Saturday and Sunday for the next couple months. And it combines Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park. So there'll be two races from one and three from the other. It's a, a dollar based wager. So it's tough. It's not a 50 cent. So you can't really spread as much, but it's a low takeout. It's 14% takeout and they pick the hard fields. And this is one of the races this weekend uh, that's in the sequence. They have races 12 and 13 from Gulfstream Park and uh, they have races six, seven, and eight from Santa Anita. And that's one of those things where every weekend, that's just a fun wager to start with. If you don't play a bunch all over, you know that every Saturday and Sunday, they're going to have that thing. It'll always be a low takeout. And for me, it's sort of like one of my uh, starting points when I'm handicapping every weekend. Now I, it's a goal because the first four times I was four out of five Oof. and they pay 11,000, 22,000, 15,000. So I'll have a big one with my name on it soon. Maybe I'll look to play that because I haven't been playing that one. I'm making a note of it right now. Now let's shift our attention over to the big one, the the World Cup. The morning line favorite is National Treasure. Call me crazy, but I'm thinking about state taking a stand against the favorite. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't like him, and I don't really like him at all. I, I mentioned Warm Heart, who I think others will run better. Like if you're playing horses to win or in that race, I think you want to use Warm Heart more. Is in, in some of the under spots in this race. Um, I, I'm I'm gonna play against National Treasure. I, I think he's a little one-dimensional, to be honest. He doesn't really have races where he sits off horses. He's a need the lead type. And in this race, I don't think he's going to get the lead. Hoist the gold is faster than him early. And 
some of the tools that I use actually think there's going to be like five or six horses all pretty close to national treasure early on. I, I like Flavian Pratt quite a bit as a jockey and I trust him in a situation like this, but I've never been that high on this particular horse. He just lost to a very nice horse, Cody's wish who won a bunch of awards last night at the eclipse awards in this particular race though. I don't think he'll, he's going to get the trip that he got last time out. I feel like at least hoist the gold will be pushing him early. There'll be a horse like first mission who shouldn't be too far out of it. We also have Skippy Longstocking from the outside who was not too far behind national treasure early in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile last time out. He's going to be right to the outside of him again. So horse who I've never thought that much of, he won the Preakness and that's sort of the reputation he lives off. But it wasn't a very strong edition of the Preakness. Actually, what was supposed to happen in the Preakness, first mission was supposed to run in there. He got scratched a few days before that race. Yep. And he was, he's been out, he was out of training and off. He didn't race from April to October. And so now first mission, I actually think he might be the horse to beat. I actually think he is a horse who has the most upside because he missed a lot of time there. And now he's back. He might still be able to take steps forward that I'm, I'm not sure if national treasure is going to take a step forward off of his, his most recent races. You mentioned first mission, obviously on X and online when I was doing my looking into this, it's kind of a horse I'm hearing a lot of buzz about. You mentioned it, you know, was out till October before that won the Lexington States at Keeland out until October, won his first race back. But then when he got the step up at the Clark stakes at Churchill Downs, he almost won it, didn't win it. How much should we should we worry about that? Or is that, you know what, that was Churchill. We're down in Gulfstream Park. This horse is live, and he should be recovered from his, his time off. Yeah, if we're going to have a knock on him, it might just be that this at this point of his career, he may not really want, want to go this far. This may not be his best going a mile and an eighth. He might be a horse that's best at a mile. So okay. this might be stretching what he really wants a little. Uh, and maybe later on in his career down the line, he will have more foundation and he'll build up a little more stamina and he'll be fine. So, so I can understand that being a knock on him. At Gulfstream Park, it's one of those tracks that plays pretty well to speed horses and horses with his running style. It's just not as long of a stretch and not as much time that you normally see horses making up ground in the stretch. It just plays a lot better to horses with his style. I think the Clark, the reason why he might have lost that race, was probably more of the, the time off and probably more to do with the injury. And it was just his second start back. And he still hasn't really been able to build up all that foundation yet. Uh, now he's grown up a little bit more with a couple races under under him. I, I like him in this spot. I think he's a major player and like a must use all over. Now you mentioned hoist of gold. Obviously when Johnny V came over, they changed the running style last time out at the cigar, cigar mile being pushed more toward the front. Will that running style help here? And is this someone that's a big price that can pull off an upset? 
Yeah, and I think a lot, uh, a lot of it had to do with he was coming out of sprint races against really fast horses. So just think about that. If you're running and training with a bunch of sprinters, and then you go and run more of a marathon, you're going to be way out in front, yeah. right? It's all going to be about the stamina. Can you stick? And on a muddy track, he was able to, to show a little bit more stamina. When it rains, half the horses in the field don't like it. So you end up seeing horses win like he did and draw off and win by big amounts. This is a really honest horse. A very, very cool horse. I, I was glad to see him get a big win like he got last time out. But that was such a big win, such a big effort. You're, it's like playing the team that just won big on Monday Night Football, Eric. Yeah. You know, you yeah. play them after that and sell when they're high, buy low, right? That's what I love. That's what I love. Right. Um, let me ask you this. I'm looking right now at Bet Online, who has fixed fixed odds up for this. They're showing an eight to one price right now. Do you think that is a price that's going to dip lower, dip higher, or be right around that range on hoist of gold? That feels, yeah, that feels fair. I think that feels fair. That's going to be right in that range. Like I wouldn't jump to play it or play against it because I think that'll probably be that'll probably be right in that range. Do they have a fixed price on Senior Buscador? 10 to 1. See, I would play that. And we're going a little bit off script here, but uh, this is kind of uh, another question that you were going to ask me um, when you were talking about how I'm betting this race. I, I do think there's a horse that's very live in here, Senior Buscador. My major concern is he's 21 on the morning line. I talked about him on your show on Tuesday um, as I gave him out as a horse I liked. I think that how we've been talking about this race with hoist the gold fast early national treasure fast early one or two others, maybe even a horse like Nimitz class who draws the rail. He was a horse that you wanted to, to ask a question about too. He could be forwardly placed. I think they're going to go quick early. That will set up very well for senior Buscador. He will come closing. And if you look at the races that he exits hoist, the gold beat him last time out. But he's never, Senor Buscador is never going to win a race if if it's just a, a wire-to-wire winner. If it's just a horse that goes out front and goes all the way around, Senor Buscador will never beat them. He needs it to be a couple horses out front, going really fast, then he'll come flying. So if you try to look at some of his recent races, he wasn't getting the trip that he needs. Again, it's like a matchup, Right. If you have a team that runs the ball really well, but they keep playing good run defenses and all of a sudden they play against a good team, but they have a bad run defense and you can just run the ball, hold the ball. It's sort of like that. You, you, a lot of times you'll look at a horse like senior Buscador and he doesn't have as many recent wins, but it's just because he's facing horses like white Abario in the breeders cup classic slow down Andy Arabian night, Go to uh, go rocket ride those horses. Any of those horses, if they were in a spot like this, they would be favored heavily favored in there. 
So I look at the races he exits. He's been facing so much better horses than most of these that he'll be that Senor Buscador will face. For him, it'll just come down to trip, like the the opposite of those speed horses. What's hard about playing a horse like this, though, he's very dependent on what others do. If other horses don't all go fast early, he won't have a shot. Mm-hmm. If they do, he will. So he's a harder horse to bet at a shorter price. If he's under 10 to 1, you probably don't want to bet him. If he is 10 and above, yep. And you absolutely want to throw him in your pick fours and pick fives because there's different way the ways the race could be run. And if the race is run a hundred different ways, well, there's probably 50 or 60 of them where he gets a really nice trip in here. Yeah. Now, I think in sports betting, I think one of the things why I'm able to do what I do is I'm not biased. I'm able to separate my money from bias. But it was about two, three years ago, I bet three Zaz, Edward Zaz, he's a jockey down at Gulfstream, three of his horses in a row. I think I $1 ticket, I think I got back 600 bucks or something. And you Ever were sold? That, I was sold. I was sold on him. He is actually in this race. He's my favorite jockey. Usually in the winter meet at Gulfstream. He, he dominates. Yeah. He Oh no, so, oh, he do- he dominates so, in the fall in the off yeah, meet in the fall, non-championship in the meet. Off season. During this winter yep. meet, he struggles a little bit. Well, he's just a little, a little more, more yeah, because when everybody comes, all the other big riders, he doesn't necessarily yeah. get the the type of mounts that he does, yeah. right? He's on 15, 20 to one shots yeah. a lot more now versus yeah. he's on three to one, five to twos, right? Yeah. In the other months. But what I love as a gambler, we have certain teams, football season's just ending. It feels like, well, you know, I, I like the Chiefs. I think they're a good team. Patrick Mahomes is a good football player. Travis Kelsey's a good tight end. Andy Reid's a good coach. But you and I don't really get to bet the Chiefs very often, right? Because oh. they're usually favored in games. And those aren't the games that we're looking at. And I think the same is for, like, a lot of trainers and jockeys, too. For I don't have a lot of times where I'm playing Irad Ortiz Jr. Because yeah. most of the time, he's on the 5-2 to two or 3-1 to one horse that I'm trying to beat. And it's not that I don't think he's a good or capable rider or think that that trainer is capable. My point is that Zayas is one of those riders that I always end up seeming like I gravitate towards also because he's on horses that are longer shots, but he just feels like he gives you a great run for your money. And he's an Mm -hmm. aggressive rider. So he will at at the very least put horses in the race. You have a shot. You, you know, you're, it's rare where you feel like you're watching a horse that he's riding and the horse is dead last and just never got in it. He, maybe he doesn't win, but he gave you a chance. He was aggressive early. And that's, that's gotta be the plan with Nimitz class. He actually has a trainer change and he comes into the George Weaver barn and this barn has been rolling. And these horses like Nimitz class are always interesting to me because he spent the bulk of his career at, little bit lesser tier tracks, Laurel and parks. Um, you see a race at Monmouth there. It's not that they're not, they don't have higher, like greater, great races or, you know, higher level racing, but just, he never really stepped up against some of the better. 
and you sometimes with horses like this, that doesn't mean he can't. Yeah. Right. It doesn't mean he can't be competitive in this race. It just means he hasn't because he was for a barn that's based out there because his mm -hmm. connections don't run a lot of races at Gulfstream. And so if you, if you aren't a trainer that's comfortable going other places, you're probably not going, going to send your horses there. Even for the biggest races, you'll keep them in, you know, maybe a little bit softer spots. This horse has won 11 of his 21 lifetime races. He's super honest and he should be able to save ground from the rail. And the, the trainer change is very interesting to me. And I agree with you on Zayas. I think as a gambler, if I look at Zayas aboard a horse and that horse is 10 or 15 to one, I think he's going to give me a shot. I love playing him when he goes to other tracks too. When he goes to other tracks, he's just people don't know him. The yeah. name, he's not a national name. He's not a Joel Rosario or someone who goes here, Gaffleo. Like people know when those jockeys travel, he doesn't quite have that yet. And for gamblers, that's a good thing. How are you betting this race? Key race, like you mentioned, in all of those exotics, right? Pick fours, pick fives, um, any type of uh, pick threes, anything you're closing, you're going to be closing it right here in race 13 because it's the last race on the card. The horses who I absolutely need in my exotics, there's three of them. First mission, we mentioned, Senior Buscador, they'll be totally opposite ends of the spectrum. First mission should be close up early. Senior Buscador, he'll be coming from way out of it. And the third one is Trademark. He will be sort of in the middle. So from, from a style standpoint, I, I will hope that first mission is sitting second, eh, probably sitting third. I'd love to see Hoist the Gold on the lead, National Treasure and Hoist the Gold kind of pushing each other and then first mission not far behind them. Then I want to see Trademark sitting in about fifth, just not too far behind first mission. And then after everyone else, Senior Buscador is going to look like he's in a race all by himself, but way back behind everyone. But if they go fast enough, he'll come flying and he'll give you a nice run for uh, a nice uh, thrill late. So hopefully we'll have the horse sitting close. Another one, a little bit more mid-pack. And then one coming from the back. So that way, if we're closing this race in a pick four, I feel like I'm alive in this race and I've got one horse that can win in however this race ends up. If there's not a lot of speed, first mission should be close. He should be right there and able to pass hoist the gold or, or national treasure trademark. He could sit right behind them. He's been in really nice form as of late. He just went at Churchill he didn't run great at Keeneland before that, but he was wide. And after, be, prior to that, he had a string of really nice races. I think he's a little under the radar too. So uh, I'll, I'll play those three. Um, maybe hook up uh, at least like a try with the three of them. And if Senior Buscador is 10 to 1 and above, I'll play him to win. I have a feeling he's probably going to be closer to 5 or 6 to 1. Now, is there any other horse that you didn't mention with those three that if I'm going to play a bigger pick four, pick five, have a group pick six ticket that I need to make sure that I include? Yeah, I'd say Grand Aspen. This is a, a Pletcher horse who's kind of sneaky. He just lost to O'Connor last time out, but O'Connor snuck up the rail and got a really nice trip that day. And Grand Aspen 
looks like the type of horse who's just getting better and better and better. That was only his fourth start on the dirt. He had been running on the grass. And you just sort of go through his entire career. He never runs a bad race. All of his recent form for Pletcher, he's either winning these races or he's beaten by a neck. He's just beaten. So he could be one of those horses that maybe gets a little forgotten about. I will definitely have him on one or two pick fours and pick fives. Gino, I'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast, talking some horse racing, sharing how you're going to be playing the big races on the Pegasus card. Why don't you tell everyone where they can find you on social media and when your podcast comes out, you're doing some stuff from Santa Anita and uh, Stable Duel. Why don't you tell everyone about that as well? Yeah, it's a big weekend too. There's actually a contest tomorrow that's called the Pegasus World Cup Betting Championship. It's a $6,000 entry. So it's it's a big contest. They have $250,000 plus in prizes. Last year they had 280,000. The winner went won 125 grand. It's one oh, of the wow. biggest betting contests of the year. It's massive yeah. and it's at Gulfstream. You can play either at Gulfstream at Santa Anita or online uh, at ExpressBet. So I I have had some videos and stuff out for a lot of these big contests. They have qualifiers leading up so that way you don't have to spend the 6000 if you can't afford it. They had qualifiers for 80 bucks to where you'd win, you play for 80, then you qualify into a $1000 tournament and then from there you qualify. So for 80 bucks, you could win into a $6000 tournament, which is yeah. nice. That's the way I, I approach those. And uh yeah, that's what G said podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Been posting a lot of stuff on social media. Eric joins me every week. Just a couple more weeks of football to talk about and then we'll uh, we'll shift on over and start talking a little NBA and some college. And I'm curious in the next uh, couple of weeks to talk about the uh, coaching change for the bucks with you and, and pick your brain on that a little bit. I have definitely have some thoughts on that, but we can talk about that uh, on your podcast. My it's friend, a tease. Make, make sure actually on this podcast, Dalton sell from the behind the bucks.com. Him and I talked about the coaching change. So, well, there you go. Boom. Yeah. This podcast, uh, Gino, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll talk soon, my friend. Absolutely. Anytime, buddy. Make sure to give my boy Gino a follow at It's Me, Gino B. That's it for the podcast. I'd like to thank everyone who came on. David, follow him at BetterDP21. Dalton, follow him at Cell underscore Dalton. And Gino at It's Me, Gino B. I'll be back next week. Sorry I missed last week. Great to be back. Let's make some money. Let's cash some tickets. Until next week, boys and girls.